0: God's grace, peace, and mercy be upon you on this second Sunday after Christmas through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. How many of us can trace our genealogy of our family past our great-grandparents? A few? Yeah, there were a few at the early service. I can't go that much further with mine, either on my dad's side or on my mom's side. You know, it, it seems to me for most of us, any history past our grandparents' parents becomes more murky. You know, it, it's hard to find pictures and documentation and stories and so forth. You know, even with genealogy becoming more commercially popular with websites and subscription services and, and home DNA tests, you know, most of us don't know very much about our ancestors past a certain point. And that point is often just a couple hundred years. We Americans like to say we're this or that, you know, when it comes to background. I'm French-Canadian on my dad's side and Welsh-English on my mom's side. And some of us are more proud than others when it comes to our national roots. But what does it mean when we're all citizens of one country and citizens in the kingdom of God. My French background doesn't mean a thing in my citizenship in God's realm. It doesn't really matter as a citizen of the United States either. Same goes for, for you. And I wonder if this is why we tend to pass over the genealogy of the most important man in our lives who ever lived we seem to think the family line of Jesus is a a barely relevant curiosity. You know, something that only gets read at a Bible study. And, And even then, most of us don't want to try and pronounce all those Hebrew names. And there's so many of them, we never hear of anywhere else in Scripture, we just skip over it. Why bother? Let's just get to the good stuff. You know, what did Jesus say? What did He do? Even the Catholic and Protestant engineers of the Christian three-year reading lectionary leave the genealogy out. What an unfortunate omission, a travesty. Jesus has got to be displeased with this. Well, today we fixed that. Well, attempted to anyways, you know. I read the genealogy for the first time at the 830 service. First time I've ever done that. And you heard it again at this service. And we're going to look closer at this family line of our Lord and Savior and see what God might have to say to us through it. There's got to be something here of use. Otherwise, the apostles wouldn't have included it in their testimony. You know, paper and ink in their day was too expensive to be taking up space with Trivial information. Now you're probably familiar with the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew. Because that's how the book of Matthew starts out. And we skip over that and go right to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. But there's this other genealogy nestled here in Luke. Right between Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River and his temptation in the desert. What an odd place to bring up Jesus' family line, isn't it? You know, what an interruption to the action. Just when Jesus gets baptized by the Holy Spirit and is thrown into the desert by the Spirit for His 40-day fasting and temptation, I mean, that's the original word in the, in the Greek. Jesus was hurled or tossed into the wilderness by the Spirit there was a force that moved him into the Judean wasteland very quickly and violently. The tension builds. What's going to happen to Jesus in the desert? And then you you get to this boring genealogy. You know, no wonder we skip over this. And I admit all these years, I've been skipping over these verses as well. Preparing the sermon is the first time in my career that I've given this text more than just a glance. It's different than Matthew's. All the names don't line up. There are some names in, in Matthew's version that aren't here in Luke's, and vice versa. But that's nothing to worry about, really, because when you're a student of God's Word, naturally there are problems in the text. Which beg answers to questions. And you find out that these gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have their own way of conveying the story of God's Son. They're speaking to different groups of Christians with varying assumptions as to how God has intervened in history to solve the problem of mankind's sin. So it's all true, it's all correct but it's not always exactly told the same way. The genealogy of Jesus is a prime example. Matthew seems to give the more royal, regal names uh, the legal line of descent from King David of Israel, while Luke names the actual descendants of Joseph's branch of the family. And remember, Jesus Christ was conceived by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't conceived by Joseph. He's not of Joseph. Yet Jesus is a descendant in Joseph's family. Wouldn't it be fascinating to analyze a sample of Jesus' DNA? You know, if that were even possible. and and, and Compare it to Joseph's DNA. You know, what would would we find? Would Joseph's DNA, or would Jesus' DNA match Joseph's, even though he wasn't conceived by him? You know, we believe and confess that Jesus is true man and true God. It would follow then that his DNA would be a match to Joseph's because he is true man. And this makes the mystery of Jesus' incarnation even more mind-blowing. The angel Gabriel announced beforehand that Jesus is the Son of God, so whatever the Father is made of, so is the Son. Yet he's also the son of man, our brother. He's Joseph's son. So whatever Joseph is made of, and we know what that is, flesh, bone, blood, water, DNA, Jesus is made of that as well. This genealogy in Luke tells us what we already know, that Jesus is the son of God and the son of man. But it tells us at the moment when a new era of salvation is about to begin with Jesus' trial with the devil in the desert. And this is perhaps to make it clear to you and me that from now on, since our baptism into Christ, we have been reborn into a new family of God. Now, we're not going to have time today to, or even the mental endurance to pour over every name here, but let's take a look at the frame of this thing. It starts with Jesus and ends with Adam and, and God. It ends with God, really. The beginning and the end of the one who has no beginning and has no end. Fascinating, as Mr. Spock would say. We don't recognize all these names in between, but there's some that we do. It's like skipping a nice, flat, round stone on a calm pond of water. You know, as the stone skips over stretches of water, it hits the water as it goes along. And so these names we know are like those spots in the water the stone hits. David, Abraham, Enoch. Luke's original hearers of this letter would have known the importance of this genealogy much better than we do. It's in the Jewish culture to do so. And David is probably the most important family member in this line because of his importance in the life and history of the people Israel. Now, David is is more than just a king of a kingdom. He's a, a prototype of the Messiah, a forerunner. So David gives credibility to, to, to Jesus' pedigree, especially for the Jews. Well, it was intended to anyways, right? The problem was the Jewish leaders at the time Jesus began saying he was the fulfillment of David didn't believe him because well, he didn't look like what David had looked like. He didn't look kingly. And he hadn't come into this world in a kingly manner. He wasn't born in Jerusalem to a royal family. In fact, when Jesus came on the scene, the Jews didn't even have a real king. They had Herod, whose father was from Edom, the desert way down south near Jordan. Herod was in bed with Caesar. He owed everything to the Roman Empire, even the opportunity to be king in the first place. He owed it to the Roman Empire for his freedom to do what he wanted to do in Judea and spend the people's money. And The Jews hated him for that. Herod wasn't royalty. He was a sham in their eyes. Nevertheless, this family line shows not only to the Jews then, but to Jew and Gentile today that Jesus is the new Adam and the Son of God. He assumed all the history of Israel and all those kings into himself. And by that, you and I are brought into him and this family. This genealogy of Jesus is also ours. You know what that means. Well, you know what it's like to be in a family, don't you? Jesus knows what it's like to be in a family. It can be wonderful, it can be fun, it can be frustrating, it can be maddening, it can be horrendous. Jesus has lived it. Jesus committed no sin. He is one of us, but unlike us, he is without sin. But that doesn't mean he didn't experience sin in his family. Now, there's not a single word in the Bible about Jesus being slapped around or kicked around by Joseph after Joseph had a few rounds at the bar with the boys after work. And there's no story of Jesus being inappropriately touched, or worse, by the pervert uncle of the family that no one ever talks about. We're inclined to think of the holy family in their little house in Nazareth as quaint, righteous. After all, they were the family chosen to raise the Messiah. But let's be real. There had to have been shouting in that house, screaming at each other with words that hurt. I mean, Jesus had a couple of brothers, didn't he? Not only that, but Jesus being God as well as man, knew everything about every descendant every family member listed here and in Matthew and all the others not mentioned hundreds of thousands of people throughout the ages he knew them he knew what they were like he knew what it was like to be in their family as well now maybe you've watched the genealogy shows on TV finding your roots with Henry Louis Gates jr you know, where celebrities, uh, their families are researched and, and Who Do You Think You Are is another show. You know, when you watch these long enough, you, you begin to notice how when the experts dig into these families' past and, and lay it all, all out on the table, there are always unsavory family members in the line. Fathers, uncles, sons, mothers, daughters, who have done terrible things that affect the whole family for generations. Sometimes to the point where the family line stops or is interrupted, this person is just not mentioned. Can you imagine all these generations in Jesus' family? They weren't all perfect. They weren't all righteous. And Jesus knows what it's like to come from a family. Whatever you've experienced in your family, Jesus knows. Look at all these names. And these are just the fathers. Think about all the mothers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins connected to these men. Thousands of years of family history, family joy, family sin and tragedy. Jesus knows it all. He came from heaven, but he also came from this. He was promised to them to give them new life. And he came to us to give us new life. Now, if you count backward from Adam here, certain people are prominent in God's plan to save you and me. There's Enoch and Abraham and David. But the 77th and final name is Jesus, who for us there is only one generation, his generation, He's given us freedom from sin and darkness and baptized us into his death and resurrection so that we will live forever with him and all who believe. And that makes us quite a family, wouldn't you say? Let's continue bringing Jesus into the lives of the people we know so that more people can be brought into this family and receive eternal life and salvation as we have. Amen.